And then this from Esther chapter 7. So the king and Haman went into feast with Queen Esther. On the second day, as they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have won your favor, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me. That is my petition. And the lives of my people, that is my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have held my peace. But no enemy can compensate for this damage to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he? Who has presumed to do this? Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Faithful and true are the words of God. So this book of Esther is one long story. It takes 10 chapters to tell. It revolves around Esther and her cousin Mordecai, who are Jews living in a foreign land as a minority people. There are twists and turns throughout the story. Danger and death both loom large. It's also the origination story for the Jewish holiday or Holy Day Purim, which happens in the spring. The beginning of the book tells us that the king is feeling so good about how wealthy and great things are going that he decides to have a series of parties and celebrations and banquets to celebrate. During one of those, he calls to the queen and says that she is to parade before all of the guests in the royal crown. It's not particularly clear, but it may be only in the royal crown he's asking her to parade before all the people. She refuses to do so. He decides he needs a new queen. He's going to get rid of her. He calls for all the young women. He summons the young women in the kingdom to come before him so that he can select a new queen. Esther is one of the women that comes. Esther is an orphan. She's been adopted by her cousin Mordecai. The text tells us that she is fair and beautiful, and as soon as the king sees her, he falls in love. He selects her to be the new queen. He does not know at this point that she is Jewish. Meanwhile, another story is being developed in Esther around this character, Haman. Haman has worked his way up through the ranks. He's now become second in line only to the king in terms of power in the kingdom. Haman notices how when the king comes out in public and walks around, everyone bows to him. Haman really likes how that looks. Haman thinks all should bow to him as they do the king. So he orders them all to begin to bow to him when he goes out. But Mordecai, who is a person of faith, a faithful Jew, thinks bowing to another human is too much like worship of God. He can't abide it. He refuses 
to bow before Haman because of his faith. As you might imagine, Haman doesn't take this very well. Haman becomes infuriated and decides he's going to take care of Mordecai. He cannot have such insolence. But he decides not only to take care of Mordecai, he decides to show him that he's going to kill all the Jewish people in the land. He sends out an edict in the name of the king that all the Jews should be put to death on a certain day. He names the day. Mordecai realizes now the Jews are in trouble. He sends word to Esther in the palace that she must speak. He sends out an SOS, you've got to help us or all of your people are going to be assassinated and annihilated. Esther's not sure what to do. Living in a time of patriarchy and absolute authority of the king, to go to the king without being summoned can carry a sentence of death. So she considers and reconsiders. Mordecai urges her, saying, maybe you've been placed there for such a time as this. Maybe you're the one that God is counting on. Maybe you can save your people. Esther finally says, okay, how about this? If all the Jews will fast and pray to God for three days, then over, even though I may die, I will go and see the king on our behalf. Even though I may perish, because it is against the law for me to do such a thing, I will go. Esther is facing danger with great courage. She's inviting her faith community to help her have this courage and to move forward to try to save the people. In chapter 7, as we begin to read about this banquet she's hosting, this is her strategic move to be able to get the ear of the king, to be able to get a hearing from the king, for you know it's often hard if you're not a person in power to get to people in power. It's often hard if you're a minority voice to be heard. This problem of being a minority people and being heard is indeed an ancient problem. When worldly power is grossly and unevenly distributed, it's hard for the little people to be heard by those in power when someone has power without any checks and balances great harm often ensues and so it is an ancient problem yet it is not only an ancient problem we can think of our own lifetimes probably most poignantly the reign of nazi germany and how they treated the Jews in Germany and in the countries surrounding that they invaded in the 1930s and 40s. But it even happens in our own country, even in our own state. If you know Oklahoma history, you know we have had an uneven history between the state of Oklahoma and the tribal people who were promised the land before our ancestors got here. It was hard for the native tribes to get a hearing a hundred years ago or more. After hundreds 
of broken treaties and broken promises. Finally, Native Americans are getting a different kind of hearing these days. You may or may not be aware that, in fact, the land on which we are sitting or standing right now, the city of Tulsa, exists on land that was deeded to and given to the Cherokee and the Muscogee Creek tribes. But when oil began to flow bountifully here and more and more white people came to Tulsa and wanted more land to expand, the white legislature unilaterally decided that they would annex back the land they wanted from the tribes. But now with this McGirt decision, the tribes have received a hearing. But it's so confusing now after all these years about what it really means and how it's to be enacted. There's all these questions about jurisdiction and who's in charge. It's a difficult maze to work out. But wouldn't it be better than rather than our leaders attacking one another, that they all committed to work together cooperatively for the good of all? It hurts all of us. When power is used unilaterally to advantage one group over another group. There's not only the original harm and the loss of voice, the loss of property, and the loss of wealth that happens, but there's the loss of potential that happens whenever one group is suppressed or oppressed by another. Certainly we can begin to see that it's better for all of us rather than fighting one another to work together so that everybody has a fair opportunity. We have lots of problems in our country, but certainly it's something we can see that we need creative, solution-minded people of goodwill working together to enrich our whole culture and society. It's just bad for all of us when one group takes all the power and makes decisions in their own interest alone. Esther has a lesson for us. Can we hear it? The power unchecked, power without checks and balances often leads to great harm. We can hear in verse 3 the plea of people without a voice as we listen to Esther. It says in verse 3, Then Queen Esther answered the king, If I have won your favor, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me. That is my petition. And the lives of my people, that is my request. Give me a chance to live. Give us a chance to live. Give us an opportunity to exist in society. It echoes one of the great promises and one of the great ideals of America to give people an opportunity at our best. We are the land of opportunity where people can come to have a better life, to experience more freedom, freedom to gather, freedom to speak, freedom to worship, and freedom to work. Freedom and life and opportunity to live and prosper in a society. Esther 
and her people are living at such a precarious time that a single person could decide that they all might be killed on a certain day. It's a grisly kind of power that's being displayed as we read through this book. And her simple request is, let us live. Let us exist. Give us an opportunity. She is facing grave danger, but she decides because of her faith to have the courage to speak up for her people and for others. She finds the courage to do so. In verse 4, she tells the king about it. She says, for we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have held my peace. But no enemy can compensate for this damage to the king. Do you notice her strategy there? She's pleading for her people. But she's saying to the king, you should watch what happens because it's not just going to hurt us, it's going to hurt you. The damage to you and your kingdom is going to be too great. You need to take heed. You need to pay attention. You need to look at what's happening here. Because if you allow Haman to carry out his plot, you're going to lose more than you might imagine. She sees the danger of this unilateral power being used against her people, and certainly she's pleading for her life and the lives of her people. But she's also pointing out to the king that this is going to hurt all of us. This is going to do more damage than anyone will be able to compensate you for. I heard recently that in our Tulsa Public Schools, 34% of our students now are Hispanic. I hear many people talking about what to do about this problem. And so often the solution is send them back, get rid of them, get them out of here. But wouldn't it be better if we would listen to Esther and say that's too great a loss to give up on a third of our children here in Tulsa. Wouldn't it be better if we could figure out a way to make sure that everyone, even if English is not their first language, could learn English to find a pathway for people to be productive citizens and to function alongside of us who have already been here in this culture for a longer period of time? Wouldn't that be to our advantage? Wouldn't it be better for our culture? Let me bring it closer to home. We have two young men that have worked here at Boston Avenue in a variety of capacities who are of Hispanic origin. One of them educated here in Tulsa Public Schools, the other one in another state and another country. And yet both are remarkable young men that have made incredible contributions and provided fantastic leadership for our community, not just our church community, but for the community, the city of Tulsa. It would be such a loss if we're not experiencing the gifts that they bring 
the gifts that they have shared with us and with so many more. Esther says it's too great a loss to simply begin to eliminate people. I think of Tulsa right now. A lot of the leadership for Tulsa is homegrown, been nurtured right here in our city, our mayor, the police chief, the school superintendent, All were young people here in the city of Tulsa, all educated here in Tulsa and raised up and now providing leadership across so many different areas in our city. Esther gives us an opportunity to hear the minority voice, to think about what we all lose whenever we decide any group is expendable or is to be pushed to the side. By the end of the book, we find out that justice is done. The king, in this case, uses his power on behalf of the Jews and saves Esther and all of the Jewish people. Chapter 9 tells you about the holy day or the holiday. They established Purim to celebrate this. And it's so interesting to me, they don't only celebrate together and give one another gifts But it tells us to be sure when we celebrate to remember the poor, to remember the marginalized, to share gifts of food with them as well. The good news here is that faith makes a difference, that people of faith can make a difference, that our faith can help us speak up for justice and goodness. That faith can help us find the courage when it's dangerous to stand up and say something, to come together with our faith community and still be a voice for justice and goodness and what is right in our time and place. When we articulated our core values a few years ago, there's a couple that have the same spirit as we find here in the book of Esther. The first one, I put it in your outline, says that the Boston Avenue Church community nurtures our congregation to be ambassadors for reconciliation. And then the next one says, we develop mission partnerships as Christ love in action. Oh, faith is something we possess, but it's also to be something we do. Our faith is supposed to be love and action, willing and doing the good for one another and those around us. We give you lots of different opportunities to give and to give back to God. We open lots of doors for mission experiences, knowing we're not all the same, but we can all make some contribution. Whenever you make a gift or make a pledge or make a contribution at Boston Avenue, you can know that you're touching thousands of other lives for good. Esther reminds us that we can use our faith to face dangerous situations that we can find courage in times of trouble if we rely on our faith community. That in fact, God may have placed us in such a time as this to serve and help others in need. 
on this Worldwide Communion Sunday as we wait our turn to come to the altar. Let's lift a prayer for those who are living in danger right now, for those who are people of faith that exist in dangerous situations. But perhaps we should also raise a prayer that we can open ourselves anew to God so that God might use us for good in the world. Amen, and thanks be to God.